Well, good evening. It's very nice to be back here again. Um, had a very nice lunch. Lots of conversations there. And so it's been a, a lovely day of fellowship with the church here this morning, with people from the church at lunchtime, and again here this evening. It's been a wonderful day. Thank you. Anyway, let's look at this passage. And before we look at it, let's pray. Father, Thank you for your word and how it can work in our hearts. And as we look at your word now, we pray that you give us wisdom to receive what you are saying and act upon it. Not just to be hearers, but doers of your word. Father, we commit ourselves to you now as we receive from you. Thank you, Father. Amen. Now, this morning I was talking about how Peter lifted up the Lord Jesus and explained who he is, fully God, both Lord and Christ, as we are reading in Acts chapter 2. And, um, and then the response of that, giving our lives to the Lord, and then I touch very briefly on Acts chapter 2, verse 42, which I shall just very briefly read here. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The new disciples devoted themselves to a very different way of life than they had been um, participating in before. Now, most people in life grow up being told that to be successful in life, you have to devote yourself to getting on in the world, getting a good job, being promoted, getting your house, which is becoming less and less likely these days with the cost of deposits for houses, um, getting on in life, getting the promotions, getting all the things, and then later in life you begin to realize, where's it all going? What we devote ourselves to defines so much of our lives. And if we are devoting ourselves to the life of this world and just having our faith as believers as something that we tag on the side, then we will never be satisfied because we'll always be being pulled in two directions. Now these new believers devoted themselves, first and foremost, to the apostles' teachings. Now bear in mind back then they didn't have the New Testament. So the apostles' teachings were trying to explain how the Old Testament was leading to Christ and the significance of who Christ is and his death on the cross and all those things. Now then, today we're much more privileged in that we have the whole of the New Testament. So being devoted to the apostles' teachings is pretty much being devoted to God's word. Filling our minds with scriptures, dwelling on it, allowing the Lord's word to shape our lives. And fellowship with one another. Friendship with the world is enmity towards God. Friendship with the people of God is friendship with God. And to the breaking of bread. The weekly or monthly reminder of what the Lord has done for us. Proclaiming his death until he comes. And it's not just a reminder talking about. It's an action that we do that reinforces in us our sin and the wonders of salvation, that we are redeemed, the blessed people of God. And to prayer. Prayer 
a life of communication with the Father. We've been brought into fellowship with the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. And prayer is our recognition and entering into that wonderful privilege of being able to have fellowship with God and his son Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. And this is what they devoted themselves to. Seeing themselves as separated people. And the passage we're reading in 2 Corinthians is picking up on that same concept. Now then, some people say, oh, becoming a Christian, you have to stop doing that, you have to stop doing that, you have to do this. It's a real restriction on life. And just before the verse that we read, where we start in verse 14 in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the context of it is verse 12. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. So Paul and the apostles were saying, Paul specifically here, we are not the ones restricting you. You've been set free from these things to be able to enjoy a life of fellowship with the Father and the fellowship with his people. Enjoying what you were created to be. What's holding you back, what's restricting you, is your affections. Your affections for the world, your affections for things of the world. Your desires that should have been let go of when you turned away from them and came into fellowship with the Lord through Christ. These are the things that restrict us. There's always two sides to a coin, aren't there? If you feel that becoming a Christian means that you're restricted, you can't do the things of the world, where's your joy? Your joy is not there, is it? The peace is not there because you're wanting to do the things of the world. So what's taking away your joy? It's your desires, the God-given joy that he wants to give us, the peace he wants to give, give us, is taken away by our affections for the world. It's not the rules of the Lord Jesus taking away the joy we could have in the world because there wasn't any joy in the world in the first place. We get a little bit here and there from the way of the world and sin, but it's fleeting. But we forfeit the joy that could be ours, the enduring peace, by having these affections for the world. So Paul says, you are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. And then he goes on to say where we are. And he says, in return, I speak to children, widen your hearts to us also. Don't reject what we're saying. Listen to what I'm saying now. And he goes on to say, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Lots of questions. Well, let's look at them. Let's unpack this a bit. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Well, what's the imagery here? In Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 10, there's an obscure little law that says, Do not plough with an ox and a donkey yoked together. One of those funny laws you look at the Old Testament with. What's that about? Don't take a donkey and an ox, yoke them together, hitch them up to your plough, and plough with them together. Well, on a practical point of view, it's a bit unfair on the poor donkey. 
because the dog, ox will just be ambling along and the donkey will pulling, be pulling like crazy, or else the donkey will say, this is very nice being pulled along by the ox, and the ox will do all the work. There's no balance there, is there? So that's the imagery, but there's also another bit of imagery here. An ox was a clean animal, and a donkey was an unclean animal. So even in that imagery, there's not, do not yoke something that's clean in God's sight with something that's unclean in God's sight. Do not be yoked with unbelievers. In other words, as the people of God come out and be separate, we are not joined together with the people of the world. Now, Baptists are a peculiar people, aren't they? Well, I say that because in the past, there was a particular group of Baptists that called themselves the Peculiar Baptists. Peculiar is a bit of an old-fashioned word. It came to mean strange. It didn't mean that those Baptists were strange. Peculiar used to mean different, set apart, distinct. There was a distinction between the people of God and the people of the world that were going the way of the world. And that's what the Lord wants. He wants to be a clear distinction. And that is what he's saying here. Don't be unequally yoked. Very often this verse, this this little phrase, is used almost exclusively by some people saying, oh, a Christian shouldn't marry a non-Christian. Well, I hope that's obvious. Because, you know, if you're not together spiritually, you'll never be one. You'll always be pulling in different directions. So, yes, a Christian is free to marry any other anybody else as long as they are a believer that doesn't mean as if you've become a christian and you're already married to a non-christian husband you've got to pack up and leave in first corinthians paul talks about that situation as well how the unbeliever is sanctified through the believing partner in this life and that's fine if you're in that situation when you become a christian you persevere with it you try and show christian love to your spouse with the hope that they will see Christ glorified in you and they will come to Christ. That's fine. It can be difficult, but you persevere with it. No. If you are getting married, as a believer, you marry a believer. But it goes beyond that. What about being in partnership in business with somebody who has very different goals for the business than you would and different levels of integrity? You're going to run into trouble trying to plough together with somebody who's pulling in a different direction. If you've you ever seen a donkey cart, we sometimes see in Botswana, with two donkeys hitched up, and donkeys can be very stubborn, even more stubborn than me sometimes, but if those two donkeys are going in different, wants to go, one wants to go that way and one wants to go that way, and one's pulling that way and one's pulling that way, and they're kicking at each other and bleating and moaning at each other, and the poor person trying to drive the donkey cart is touching this one with his branches whipped there and this one there, trying to get them to pull together, he doesn't stand a hope. Those donkeys are going different directions, pulling in different directions. That cart's going nowhere fast. And that is a very apt example of what it can be like when Christians think they can benefit from being yoked in whatever way with an unbeliever. That doesn't mean we stand in judgment of unbelievers and say, oh, they're all rubbish. No, we show them love, we show them concern, respect and things like that. But we don't set our life on a path together with somebody who's pulling in a different direction. Now, why is this? For what partnership 
has righteousness with lawlessness. Does that mean that every unbeliever is an outlaw and a bandit, a lawless person? No. If we're talking about the laws of this country, or the laws of the country, the laws of the world, there are many, many non-believers who are people of integrity, upright people. But sin is lawlessness. Sin is rebellion against God. If a believer, no matter how, an unbeliever, no matter how how law-abiding, is not willing to confess their sin before their Lord and acknowledge their need of a saviour, they are in rebellion against Christ and therefore lawless. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Now look at, let's look at the word righteousness. As a Christian, am I righteous in myself? The answer is no, I'm a sinner. Do I struggle with sin? Yes. If I come up here to preach, I'm sitting down in the pew saying, Lord, is there anything hindering? What is there? What do I need to tell you about? What do I need to confess? I don't want any hindrance to your message going out. Am I righteous in myself? No. Do I need the forgiveness, the cleansing of the blood of Christ every day? Yes, I do. But praise be to God, in his sight, I am righteous because what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for me. By one sacrifice is made perfect forever those that are being sanctified or made holy. We are righteous in his sight because he chooses to see us as sinless, because our sin is put on Christ, we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ that covers over our sin. That's our privilege as a believer on this earth. And our life should be the process of catching up with what we already are. We're righteous in God's sight, but I know I'm a sinner. So Lord, help me live up to the way you regard me. Let me catch up with how the way you see me. Let me put off the sin that so easily entangles. Let me run the race set before me, keeping my eyes fixed on Jesus, helping me. It says so beautifully in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 and 3. Help me, Lord, to be righteous, to be sinless, to save myself from this wicked generation. That righteousness that we're talking about here is not something to be proud of any more than we can condemn people of the world as being lawless when they're living good upright lives in the eyes of the world it's not about that it's about our relationship with the Lord Jesus if we're rebelling against the Lord Jesus if we're not letting him be Lord of our life then we are lawless if we're in Christ through no merit of our own we are praise God righteous what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness None. Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What fellowship has light with darkness? The Lord Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever lives with me, will ne- whoever walks with me, will never walk in, live, walk in darkness. I am the light of the world. And who is the prince of darkness? Satan himself, isn't it? Now then, what fellowship would 
the Lord Jesus Christ have with Satan? None whatsoever. As the people of God, what true fellowship can we have with people who by very nature are enemies of God? In Ephesians 2, verses 1, 2 and onwards, it says all of us at one time were enemies of God when we followed the prince of the power of the air, the prince of this world. All of us at one time followed Satan. Not necessarily being Satanists, literally trying to serve him, but by following our own desires and not following Christ, we are following the way of the world, the way of the prince of this world, the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the one who is work in the sons of disobedience. Every one of us was at time in darkness, following the ways of Satan. By the Lord's grace, he draws us out of that, opens our eyes so we can see the light of the glory of Christ. And that's amazing, because it takes a work of grace. If you've seen the beauty of the Lord Jesus, you've understood his message, if he is working in you, just be thankful for that, even if you haven't grown very much, or even if you're struggling. The fact that you want the Lord Jesus is clear evidence that he's doing a work of grace in you. Be encouraged. But, what fellowship has light with darkness? There can be none. We can have friendship with the people of the world at one level, but there can never be true fellowship. And we shouldn't try for that. I have many, many non-Christian friends. I love them to bits. But I can never really have that totally relaxed feeling of oneness with them in the way that I can when I sit down and talk about the Lord with another believer and we share how the Lord's been working in our lives. That goes so much deeper. There cannot be true fellowship with an unbeliever because they just do not understand our whole way of looking at the world that's been turned upside down when from dead in our transgressions and sins, the Lord has raised us up, opened our eyes, seated us with him in the heavenly realms, given us that privileged position of being able to come into the Father's presence by trusting in his blood. What fellowship can we have with people who don't understand that? There cannot be. You know, in First Peter chapter 2, it says, but you are a chosen people, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, a people belonging to God for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. He's called us out of darkness into his marvellous light. He's a people for his very own possession to proclaim him. And if we're walking in darkness, in fellowship, yoked with the world, they won't want to hear that message all the time. They'll say, oh, do shut up. You've told us that before. Or as one person said to me years ago, oh, what book are you reading? And I said, the Bible. And I said, oh, I read that. No, they hadn't read it. They hadn't read all of it. They dipped into it, decided they didn't want it. They couldn't understand. Another person said to me when I was... Um, with them for a while and he says what are you reading and he says the Bible and he says well haven't you read that before and I says yes several times and every time I reread it I find new things in it new depths new wonders 
looked at me very strangely. But it's not strange if you know the Lord, if he's opened your eyes to see the light, is it? We fill our minds with the scriptures. We allow the Lord to speak to us. And so we're passionate. The more we read it, the more passionate about the word of God we become. The more we can share it with other people. And the more joy we get when we speak about the Lord. That we may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his wondrous light. What about this one? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What does he mean by portion here? Okay. If we have a cake, a birthday cake, I cut it into portions and give a little bit to my daughters and the other children. They each get their portion, their share of it. I have a wheat, a, a wheat allergy these days, so I can't have any of their birthday cake. So at last, age in my 60s, I'm perfectly justified at scraping the icing off the top of my finger and licking it and leaving the rest of it. <laughs> Which we tell our children not to do, and now I'm doing it. There, there. But what the point is, the portion is the, what's allotted, what's allocated. And as believers, what is our portion? What's our allocation? It's our glorious inheritance in Christ. It's our hope of glory to be with the Lord forever in heaven. It's the privilege of coming to be in the Lord's presence every day if we want through Christ. That's our portion. Our portion knowing that we're saved for a purpose. We have a role to play in this life. All that is his grace to us. Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart, Paul says. I think it's in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Since through God's mercy we have this ministry. The work he gives us to do, the gifts he gives us, our gifts. It's our portion, it's our inheritance in Christ. And what's the inheritance for non-believer? A life without hope. And sadly, eternity in punishment in hell in the lake of fire with the devil and his angels. That's the portion of an unbeliever. What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? None whatsoever. Our paths are already digressing. Since we become a Christian, we're baptized, we make that commitment to turn away from the way of the world to the living Lord Jesus Christ and follow his way. And it gets further and further apart. And then after we die, it's eternally separated as we come fully into the presence of the Lord and they're separated even from the grace that could be theirs on earth as they go to judgment and to hell. What portion is shared? Nothing. We have to understand that we are separated out to be a separate people, a distinct people, a peculiar people, as we said, that is different so that our light can shine in this world. It won't shine by being the same as the world. Yes, Paul says, to the Jews I became a Jew, to the Greeks I became a Greek, so somehow I may win some. He didn't mean that he became totally like them. It meant that he was presenting the gospel in a way that they culturally could understand, so they could come to Christ, come out of their cultures, into the people of God, the nation of God, to be a separate people a holy nation belonging to God. And what agreed, what, what accord, sorry, I missed, what accord has Christ with Belial? This is probably the most powerful one. Belial? Well, who's Belial? Well, 
It's a Hebrew word that just means a wicked person or a scoundrel or a troublemaker, something like that, and was frequently used, as it is here, to refer to Satan himself. What fellowship has Christ with Belial? If we are having fellowship as Christians with people of other spiritual beliefs, saying it all leads to the same path and things like that, we are trying to bring fellowship between the way of truth and the one opposed to the way of truth, who is Satan, who is saying Jesus isn't the only way, you can come this way or this way or this way. No, that is Satan's lies and deceptions. That is the deceiver deceiving. There can be no spiritual fellowship, there can be no fellowship between a believer and an unbeliever on those grounds. Many, many years ago, I'm talking about back in the 1980s, early 80s, there was a big festival of spirituality here in London. And it was all being publicized and all the different religions and things were there. And a friend of mine who's now a lawyer with the Christian Legal Center based up in Cambridge, Paul Diamond, some of you may have heard of him, um, Back then, he was a bit shaky in his faith. He went to see this festival, and he says, oh, it's really quite interesting. I was a bit surprised to see there weren't any Christian stands there. And I said, well, no, there weren't, because there's either the way of truth or all the other deceptions. Anyway, shortly after that, he did become a Christian out of a Jewish background and went on with Christ, and he's been serving the Lord wonderfully all these years. But, yes, all these other religions pretty much are willing to rub shoulders together and everybody agree this way or this way or that way. But as Christians, we say, no, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one that pays for our sins. Every other religion says you must work off your sin one way or another to make yourself acceptable to God. And the Lord says, you can't. Christ has done it for you. Satan says, we don't want Christ. Try by your own works. Come this way. What fellowship, what accord has Christ with Belial? Satan. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? Who is, where is the temple of God today? It's not in Jerusalem. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, the Lord Jesus says, we will come and make our dwelling in him, in a person that is obeying and trusting him. We, the Father and the Son, he's referring to. And he says, we will receive the promised Holy Spirit, indwelt by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the position of a believer. We are the temple of God. And what agreement can we have with idols? Idols, it says, the sacrifice of pagans are offered to demons. Is there any way we can be a temple of the Holy Spirit and have fellowship with other spirits, other beliefs that are following the ways of idols, demons? No, we can't. There's a clear separation in the heavenly realm. Satan's angels were cast out of heaven and they await judgment. Judgment was passed on them by the cross, and now they await the condemnation in the lake of fire forever. Satan is condemned. He is defeated. 
He has no right in any believer's life whatsoever. You are free. You've been set free. If the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. That is our position in Christ. What agreement do we have with Christ in us, with anything else? None whatsoever. For we are the temple of the living God. And then God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. I will be their God. He's not saying they're other gods. He's saying that all the tribes around in the Old Testament had their own little gods, big gods. They were sacrificing their children in the fire. Almost all the nations around Israel were practicing child sacrifices, burning their children in the fire. And this is why the Lord would sometimes say, destroy the whole nation. Because they were so far gone into the demonic deception. It's better even for the children to leave this earth than to carry on serving Satan in such horrendous ways. The judgments of God are just. They may seem harsh to us, but from his perspective, always they are just. Don't be confused about that. But he says, you, you people of God, the nation of Israel, and now as we come in to the covenants of, God, of the Lord through the Lord Jesus Christ, the only way, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And these were promises made to the old covenant people for obedience. And as we are obedient, coming to Christ, giving our lives to Christ, he is our God and we shall be his people. Therefore, go out from their midst. Be, a, be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. He said this originally to the Old Testament Jews at the time of Moses. Come out from amongst them. Be separate from the people amongst them. And what did the Lord say to Abraham, who was worshipping pagan gods as he grew up in Ur? He says, come out. Come away from your family. Leave your home and your family. Go to a place that I will show you. Abraham set out not knowing where he was going. And there the Lord started to teach him to worship him, the Lord Jehovah. We come out and are separate. We focus on the Lord. We put our eyes on the Lord Jesus. And he teaches us how to live a godly, upright life in this present sinful world. Come out and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. Don't let ourselves be defiled by the world. Friendship with the world is enmity towards God. Love not the world, nor anything in the world. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of the heart, the things of the world that Satan puts in us all the time, in our, our way all the time. Say, no, I have turned my eyes away from the world. I am fixing my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. And by the Lord's grace, Lord, help me to live a life holy and separate from the world. Holy means separated, set apart for sacred use, set apart, different Touch no unclean thing. Don't be defiled by the world. Don't compromise your thoughts or yourself with the images that are so easily available through advertising, through the internet, through television. Know when to switch it off. When I visit my mother, she loves watching these detective programs on television that are generally good and wholesome. And they're great until you get to the adverts, adverts in the middle between the programs. 
And then sometimes I don't know where to put my eyes. I don't know what, I'm, what to do with my ears. And this is the advertising that people say, oh, it's only the advertising, the program's all right. Yes, the program's fine. It's what's in between. And when I see my children there and watching it, I say, I don't want my children watching this. You know, if you can't get to us at the programs, we choose the right programs, he'll come in through the advertising. There's always something being flashed in front of our eyes to tell us, you must love this, you need this, you must love that, to take our eyes off the Lord Jesus. Let your eyes be open. Let the Lord show you. Open your eyes so you can come out and be a separate holy people, so you can be a light in this world. Touch no unclean thing. Don't let any unclean thing touch you or your heart or your eyes or your ears. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now this isn't saying when you're good enough, then I'll love you. It is saying if you want fellowship with me, walk with me. We're saved unconditionally. That's the clear message of the Bible. But here it says, having been saved, come out, walk in holiness. Do not quench the spirit. Don't forfeit the joy that could be yours. As Paul says when he starts, you are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. It's our affections that restrict us from fellowship with the Father. It says, and here, then I will welcome you. He'll welcome us because we're coming to him. He saved us. And he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come to me. The way to heaven is open. We can come boldly to the throne of grace through Christ, his blood shed for us. Without fear. We always have a right to come to the Father and he will welcome us. But if we're taking our eyes off the Father and putting them on the world, we won't be coming to the Father. He won't welcome us if we're not coming to him. But the moment we turn to the Lord, he welcomes us. Come out, be separate, fix your eyes on Christ, on the Lord Jesus, and I'll welcome you. And I'll be a father to you. You'll come into a fellowship, a relationship with me, a father to you. Not just a God out there, but a father living in you. One giving us guidance, words of encouragement, words of love chastising us, telling us off when we're wrong, forgiving us, helping us stand up. I'll be a father to you in everything that that entails. You'll be in fellowship with me. You'll be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. The Lord Almighty, creator, most powerful. With you, Lord, there's forgiveness there for you to be feared. This awesome God says, do not touch, do not come near the mountain. When Moses was going up Mount Sinai, he says, don't let anybody else come, they'll die, not even an animal. This awesome God says, then I'll be a father to you, and you'll be my sons and daughters. The contrast is huge. It doesn't say, and then I'll be a father to me, says God, in an impersonal way. He says, then I'll be a father to you, sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. The Almighty, awesome God says, I will be gentle with you and be your father and you'll be my sons and daughters. All I'm asking is come to Christ, be separate from the world, come in to my kingdom, be my people and enjoy the privileges. 
You won't get it by having fellowship with the world. You won't have it by being unequally yoked. You won't have it by compromising with the world in your lives and being a little bit Christian there and just allowing the world in a little bit. Because the world has a habit of encroaching more and more. Give a little bit, take a mile. You know, give an inch, take a mile. You know the saying. That's how it will be. If that's where you are, you can always say, no more, Lord, please help me come out of this. If you're a backslidden Christian, you can come back. If you're growing cold as a Christian and feel you want more of the Lord, he's saying, come to me. Then I'll be a father and you shall be sons and daughters to me. And then beginning of chapter 7, I'm going to top and tail the passage with these two lovely verses. Starting, you are restricted by your own affections. And then he says, since we have these promises. Isn't that lovely? You're being, I'm not restricting you, Paul says. I'm offering you the chance of freedom. You're restricting yourselves. And then he says, since we have these promises, look at them. I will be your father. You can be my children. But be separate. Come into fellowship with me. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Be holy, for I, the Lord, am holy. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no man will see the Lord. And that's from um, Hebrews 12, verse 14. Holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Holiness doesn't mean sinless perfection. Holiness means set apart, being separate, going on this way of holiness growing into the sanctification by one sacrifice is made perfect forever those that are being holy being made holy it's a glorious wonderful privilege the Lord's inviting us to come and be his sons and daughters but he's saying if that's what you want you cannot have fellowship with the ways of Satan you cannot compromise with the world You have to be a separate people, set apart, distinct, and saying, not that way anymore. My inheritance, my portion is the Lord, my fellowship with him on this earth and being with him in eternity. Not pursuing things of this world. Be content with what we have, but not content with our current situation with the Lord. Content what we have with the world, but seeking the Lord devoting ourselves to the apostles' preaching, the fellowship with believers, the breaking of bread and prayer. Be a people set apart, a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, a holy nation belonging to God to proclaim his praises. The one who's called us out of darkness into his wondrous light. The wonderful privilege of grace, the salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Meditate on that. What you were, what the Lord's done for you and where you're going. Meditate on that and you will say, no, no more of this world. I want fellowship with the Father and his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for the wonderful privilege of being able to be set apart and separate, knowing that you're lifting us up, upholding us in this choice that we make. We want to be a distinctive people, that shines the light of Christ to the world. We want to be a set-apart people, a holy people, perfecting holiness, even though we're not perfect now, 
but by your grace, putting off sin, becoming more like Christ each day. Saying no to the world. We don't want the friendship of the world. We want fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we beg you, we ask you to forgive us our sin. We confess our sins. Lord, shine your light in us to show us anything that hinders. That we may not quench your Holy Spirit, but walk in the freedom of the law of the Spirit. Your law, Father, for us as Christians. That we may glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. That we may glorify you, Father. That we may know the joy of being your sons and daughters and of you being our Father. Not just words that we say, but our daily experience, Lord, we pray. That we may grow up into Christ more and more and experience your love, the depths of your love and the privileges of your grace. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and we give glory to you, Father. Amen.